and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Geoffrey Bullock, the uh, Queensland State Officer for Family Voice Australia. Now some might think he was the guy that wrote Great Southland of the Holy Spirit, the worship leader. It's a different guy. I've got him right in front of me here. Welcome to the studios, Geoffrey. Thanks for that, Matt. <laughs> now, Geoffrey, uh, you're based out at uh, Toowoomba here in wonderful Queensland, and uh, Family Voice is a, a national ministry that reaches out to people all over the place. Do you want to tell us a little about what you do, uh, what Family Voice is all about? Yes, thanks for that. Um, Family Voice is a Christian ministry to our nation in which we promote true family values in the light of the wisdom of God. In other words, we take what God has said about the way we ought to live together in society and ask our leaders to frame laws and provide leadership so that this this Australia of ours can be a place where God can pass on his goodness, his qualities, his nature in a way that's easier than if there were laws that prevented that. Now, I've um, over the years, I've come across, you know, different magazines and newsletters and articles uh, from Family Voice, formerly known as Festival of Light Australia. The name changed last year at some stage, didn't it? Yeah. And uh, I've just been so impressed by your passion to make sure that uh, you're sharing the truth in this country. Uh, you've obviously gone on a bit of a journey, Jeffrey, to get to what, what you're doing now. Let's find out a bit about you. So you were uh, uh, raised in an Anglican church, I understand. I went to Sunday school <laughs> till I was about eight, and <clears throat> my parents then said to me, do you want to continue? And I said, no, I'd rather play tennis, thanks. <laughs> and then uh, tell me about your faith journey. Was there a time when you decided to become a Christian? It was a hard journey for me. I was a depressive soul and um, puberty wasn't kind to me. And as a result, I uh, bombed out a fair bit from the ages of about 17 to 20 and uh, wondered what life was really all about. Um, at some stage, I thought, you know, it's not, not worth going on. But God, by, the, by his grace, rescued me from all of that and, and set me, you know, made himself known at, at a camp in the Blue Mountains in 1969 where it, it's kind of like hearing his voice saying, look, I really do love you. I died for you. And that finally got through. Uh, I'd heard Billy Graham actually in uh, 1968, but it, it didn't affect me at all. But I had friends who were praying for me and finally God knocked on the door and said, I'm worth following. And I said, beauty. I went home from that camp, by the way, Matt and uh, my mother knew that something had gone on and uh, in my life because I was so changed and she said so. And uh, of course, uh, the change was uh, the start of something, a whole new life, really. I'm curious, what kind of changes did your mum notice? <laughs> I was certainly a lot more, or I should say a lot less self-centred, and as a result, uh, you know, I was caring for mum, I was thinking of her, and not being obsessed with myself, because up to that point, you know, being a depressive kind of guy, you, you, you tend to live within yourself. It's funny, I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, the other day about my conversion. I was 15 when I went to a youth camp and heard the gospel and responded. And he said to me, I remember you came back after those school holidays and you changed. You, you didn't want to have a cigarette with me behind the bike sheds anymore. <laughs> you didn't flirt with the girls as much as you used to and you you didn't swear anymore. <laughs> it's funny, you don't even remember that, that happening, but uh, my mate noticed, certainly noticed it. It's the most wonderful experience when Christ comes into someone's life, isn't it? 
it certainly changes. I, I actually had some college, teachers' college student friends, and we'd planned to go and have uh, a bit of a, a togetherness at the pub and uh, that we usually went to. Anyway, I turned up, but the other blokes didn't. But I was in the pub and I was thinking, I just don't feel at home here anymore. It was as if there was a, a new inhabitant in my life who said, no, this is not quite the scene. Not yet, anyway. I was, I'm able to go back to pubs now, but, uh, you know, back then it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, yeah, that's not quite where I want you yet. Yeah, it's a wonderful change. Now, you um, came to Christ at 20. What, what were you doing for work then? How, how did you progress in your career to be becoming a part of uh, Family Voice? Yeah, well, I, I started, I wanted to become a primary school teacher. I had a real desire, but I, I flunked college. I couldn't just, I just couldn't handle the jump from high school to tertiary education. I only passed music and spent more time down the local pub anyway. So, you know, <laughs> it, it became very difficult to pass an exam when you didn't know how to study and, and we're spending time elsewhere. And the, um, so I, I got a job eventually as a, um, a clerk in the Australian paper manufacturers in Botany, where I lived and for the next few years just sort of bided my time until God got a hold of me while I was there. And how did you find out about uh, Family Voice or Festival of Light as it was known then? Well, that was in 1969 and when I became a a, a Christian then, uh, a few years later, I read about the Festival of Light starting up and I always thought it would be a great idea to have what God said about life enshrined in our laws and thought, oh, well, we're a Christian nation, why shouldn't we have it? And so I got quite interested and took in a few conferences and just got semi-involved, interested, uh, but didn't really translate that into anything. In 1973, uh, I got married and started to raise a family, so I, I had to make it survive. And at that stage as well, I started to uh, live by faith. We uh, decided that it would be good to teach people scripture in the schools in the eastern suburbs. And uh, so I started out on that uh, under the auspices of the Anglican Church. And uh, did you have a desire to be involved, you know, in politics or, you know, was there something that triggered you to to get involved in in, uh, Family Voice eventually? Well, I'd all, I kept that interest up, but without being ever able to to do anything about it, until in 2001, um, I, God finally kicked me in the butt and said, look, it's about time you did something about what's happening in Australia. Because I'd seen over the ages how uh, atheism and how, you know, things that weren't, God wasn't happy with were creeping into our Australian society. And and it was time to do something about that. So initially, I put up my hand to join the Christian Democratic Party uh, for the 2001 federal election, ran with Kerry Blackman, an Aboriginal fellow from uh, Bundaberg, as uh, for the Senate. But we didn't do any good. And uh, I realised after that that really Christians needed to understand the relationship between the laws of our land and the effect they have on the church and with the fact that we really do uh, need a Christian witness in that area to try and change the laws uh, because they either restrict or allow and they can allow too much and, or they can restrict the good that God wants to do. Now, Family Voice uh, has, uh, I guess, a, a strong focus uh, and a strong foundation uh, in, in uh, making sure that Australia knows the truth. What, what are the foundations that, that you, uh, you build upon? 
Well, when I realised that CDP wasn't the answer, um, I was looking for another vehicle. And my son was living in Adelaide at the time, and one of my six sons, and I decided to visit him. And he was going that night to the home of the national president of Festival of Light. And so when I got there, David Phillips and I had a good chat and I was saying I'd really like to see this happen and, you know, and so we began a conversation that eventually in March the 6th, 2003, saw me become the state officer for, Fe for Festival of Light as it was then. And I realised that that vehicle was something that was very, very precious. See, they only have five things that they work with that are, they regard, and I regard too now, as essential. Four things, four institutions that God has set up and one principle of life that if you muck them up, you, no matter what you do in the rest of society, you can't maintain the social capital for it to be a good place. And those things are marriage, the family, a role for the church, God responsible government, and the sanctity and dignity of all human life from conception to natural death. All of these are relational issues because they highlight the necessity of relating to God and receiving his goodness. You muck up marriage and you muck up love and trust. Likewise with the family. If you, the church is muzzled in its uh, ability to tell people uh, what is good and what is evil, and if they stop living it, then you're not going to get very far there. And if the government is not responsible in the sense of being sensitive to God and God's will for human life, you're not going to have a good society. And, of course, once you say that there is some human life that is not as valuable as others, no human life is valuable or safe. So those five things are non-negotiable as far as we're concerned and we will do everything in our power to make sure that those institutions and that principle work and we'll fight against anything that stops it. It's, it's really good to hear you share that too. Uh, you know, I've heard criticisms of the Christian right in America that they're only known to be against the abortion laws and against uh, homosexual uh, same-sex marriages. Uh, yet... The church is called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, and actually we're called to show people what we're for. And it's good to hear you say that, that you, you know, you're for family, you're for marriage, you're for these, these wonderful, wonderful things. Let's just discuss a little bit about Australian politics. I'm, I'm learning more and more about things like the Australian Christian Lobby and Salt Shakers and Christian Democratic Party, Family First. There's all these different Christian groups that are involved in, in, uh, in politics in Australia and, and, and Family Voice is certainly a very strong voice in this country as well. Let's have a little chat about the abortion laws in Australia. Um, I understand they're different from state to state. Uh, tell us um, what Family Voice has to say about where the abortion laws are in Australia and in different states at the moment. Okay, th thanks. <laughs> big question, big question. Big question. Well, firstly, I think we should say that we regard abortion as a kill the killing of children in the womb is something that we can't go. Again, like I said before, God wants a relationship with the people that he creates. Mm -hmm. He's busy creating this child in the womb and then suddenly someone intervenes to knock it on the head. And I, I don't think he's happy. I, I can't see that being a good mm -hmm. for anyone. And, and we're learning more and more about the fact that not only is a child killed at this uh, in this activity, but we're also learning that the women who allow it to happen 
are being affected adversely. Mm. Reports continue to come in that says that women who have an abortion are more liable to um, get into binge drinking and drugs and hurting themselves in some way. And that just is is so consistent over a period of time now that we just can't afford to do it. But in Australia, the the laws of the land are such that uh, each state determines what their laws are in this regard. In Queensland, basically the law is that uh, abortion is illegal unless the health of the mother, both physical or mental, is threatened and two doctors are able to say, yes, we don't think it'll be a good idea if this woman's pregnancy continues to term. Now, that might be the de facto law, but in reality, uh, it's practically abortion on demand because while there are doctors who you know, do the right thing, there are also some who are happy to sign the little bit of paper simply because the woman wants to uh, you know, have that for herself. And I guess they interpret it as being a case of, well, if, if this woman uh, gets upset, then her mental health is disturbed. Um, well, I, I don't know whether we can go there, but that's the situation. So we have 14,000, probably more, abortions in Queensland every year. Uh, we need to stop that. Uh, we need to get redress on it. But unfortunately, the movement is all in the other direction at the moment. With Victoria, uh, the state of Victoria uh, decriminalising abortion, then we've got a situation now where uh, abortions can be held legally up to the time of birth. And I, I just am so saddened by this. Mm. I just don't think it's good. And I just don't understand why people can't understand that this is neither good nor is it helpful. Mm. How do we speak out about it? Do, do we write letters to our politicians? Do we visit them? Do we hold rallies in the, the middle of the city? Like, what's, what's the best way for us to speak out and, and show that we... We're passionate about these laws changing and, and, and what our country believes. I think we need to do two things. Not only do we need to access our leaders and let them know that a substantial number of people in this land do not want this and want a better deal for the people involved. The other thing we must do is to let girls and women know that they're hurting themselves in this and how we do that, uh, and there is a strengthening movement at the moment, books like uh, Defiant Birth and uh, Giving Sorrow Words by Melinda Tankard-Reist have highlighted the damage that abortion is doing to women. And unfortunately, a lot of women who have been damaged don't take the people who committed the abortion to uh, court simply because they have to relive all of that moment. It's just, for many, it's just too traumatic. But if there was ever a class action, um, you know, we'd certainly get some redress. So th that's an avenue. In the meantime, we must tell our politicians and our would-be candidates uh, for election that this is not good and give them the reasons why so that they can understand hopefully they'll listen and try to reverse the trend that's happening in our society. And we could do what Graham Preston has done for many years now. Graham attends a, an abortion clinic from time to time, 
stands in the steps and talks to the women as they come for their abortion that there are other options purely out of love for the person saying you know pleading with them often saying look there's another way of doing this please reconsider the situation Um, he's been arrested now more times than i think he's had breakfast (laughs) but um, he still wants to fight that battle and i hope that many more join him in the sense of letting people know out there that there is a better way adoption we need to get adoption uh, done properly Um, 819 people applied for adoption in 2005 when the books were opened just for six or eight weeks and you know and how many kids are put up for adoption in queensland a handful Mm. each year we've got to reverse that trend there's an unofficial kind of attitude in the child safety department that abortion is out fosterings in or let the woman have the child but as well as that we've got to let the men know there's men out there who are mistreating these women who are abandoning their responsibilities, who are creating a life and then letting it go. Yes, there are men who uh, want their uh, girlfriend to have the child so that they can be a father. But there are also many who are saying, get lost, I don't want to know you. And we've got to reverse that. We've got to change the thinking there. One way we can do that is in the schools by helping our young people understand that this is not an answer to a problem. This is just perpetuating more problems. And I should just say to Jeffrey, uh, you know, anyone that's listening to this that um, has been questioning about whether to have an abortion or has been through one and and is is, is going through trouble, uh, the Priceless Life Centre is a wonderful uh, organisation. You can look up, just Google Priceless Life Centre on the internet, you can find their details, there's phone numbers you can call and they do provide wonderful counselling. They're lovely people too. They do a good job, very a very good job. Um, I'll just mention too, uh, uh, a friend of mine over in Hawaii who's a pastor, uh, Wayne Cadero, counselled a young girl uh, probably 20 years ago now, maybe 25 years ago, not to have an abortion, but to put the child up for, for adoption. And uh, he felt God say to him, well, are you really serious about this? And he ended up adopting yep. that child and raising it in the church. And they're now best friends, all, all the families together, which is such a wonderful outcome. Yep. And the, the, it needs to be told that there are options available like that. There are God stories like that uh, that, that, are, that you know we need to know about. It's very significant, Matt, that the early church in the culture that they were, um, where abortion was practiced but uh, wasn't wasn't very healthy for the mother usually, uh, most of the women who had an unwanted pregnancy brought the child to birth and then deposited it at the city gates where the dogs would eat it uh, or the elements would you know, eventually kill it. And the Christians of that time went to the city gates and took the kids, brought them home and brought them up as their own children. We might have to do something like that, mm. like Wayne has done, uh, more and more. And maybe, you know, Graham Preston and others who protest about this need to be saying, I'll adopt this child, please, bring it to birth it's it, it deserves better. Mm. So, Jeffrey, um, I've been inspired to hear your story. That you know, at the age of twenty, you heard the gospel proclaimed, and you responded, and your life changed. And here you are, being a history maker now for uh, for our Family Voice. You're, you're wanting to be salt and light in this nation. There might be people listening that are thinking, you know what? I'm so far away from God. I 
need to have that same passion that Jeffrey's shared about. Uh, I need to have that relationship with God. Would you just talk to that listener? How would they reconnect with God uh, at this moment? Can I illustrate that? Um, One of the times I spoke with an MP, a state MP, about three years ago, uh, who identified as as being a Christian and uh, but as we were talking, and we were having a wonderful time together, uh, she she seemed as if she was missing an element. And I said to her, if you were to die tonight, would you be with God forever? And she thought for a moment and said, yes, I think so. And I knew from that that basically she was saying, I'm a good person, and I'm happy the way I am, and if God wants me, then, you know, he'll have to take as I am. And I had to explain to her that it's got nothing to do with it. What, it. what it matters is that Christ died for us because we are not good enough for God. We're, we're not like him. We, we fall short of his standards all the time. And the indwelling sin in our lives, that, that is basically a selfishness and an incapacity to think of God as the creator and us as the created, acknowledging him as the Lord of everything and instead trying to enthrone ourselves. So I was able to tell her that that's that's what, what it's all about. It's what Christ has done for us, not what we've done for God, that makes us right with God. And that is a tremendous change in a, in a person's life when they realise that really there's nothing we can do except accept God's gift of love and grace to, for us. What a wonderful thing it is that Christ has died for us. I'll live and die by that. I can also see that uh, it wasn't just that moment when you were 20 that was a amazing conversion experience that changed your life. Every day it seems to me that you must meet with God. What, what do you do for your devotions with God and your, your, your prayer time? I try to take God with me wherever I go. Um, but I also make sure that I've filled my mind with Scripture, with His will, and dedicated and looking for opportunities to show His grace in my life. And a lot of times, whenever I meet with people, uh, because I'm still, you know, sort of a depressive type, it's I, I prefer my own company. But I make myself, by God's grace, to go out and talk to others to show people to build trust in God by my actions and by my attitude towards them. So that's that's a lot of what I do mm. to help me go. But taking God with me wherever I go is, uh, is a very important part of my life. Mm. Well, I've been inspired to hear how God is using you. And once again, if anyone wants to find out any more information, the website is www.fava.org.au. That's the website for Family Voice Australia. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. God bless. My, my pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this week's show. You can listen to this interview again or any of our other interviews. Simply go to historymakersradio.com. Thanks for joining us. History Makers.